a friend of mine that I met when I first moved out here, Pat K back there, gave me some tapes and uh, a couple of them happened to be of this man here and um, it would be uh, easy for me to say that uh, I've listened to a lot of people talking in the time that I've been in and uh, it's a personal thing for me but um, and everybody hears things differently but what I heard in there was exactly what I needed to hear and uh, you know it changed my life for the better and uh, I have said, you know, I've come to believe in the A program and in the way of its simplicity and of its, uh, to try to keep it pure and the message to be pure. And so when I hear that, um, yeah, it's what I need to hear. And uh, I'm, you know, absolutely thrilled. I mean, I, I'm not really a hero worshiper, but, uh, and I don't have any real heroes, but uh, the, the message that this man carries is important to me. And uh, I've always been told that, um, um, you know, God uses our voice box to, to deliver bits and pieces of his message, and I guess that's the way I see it, too. And uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Father Vaughn Q from Toronto. Everybody up. Stand up, please. Everybody up. Put your hands over your head. Now just turn around and yell, ah! Shake it a bit. You know, does anybody know how to do this stuff? You know how to move the macarena? Well, we'll do it together later, okay? Now that you've made sufficient fools of yourselves, sit down. The sun may kiss the clear blue sky and the rose may kiss the butterfly. The morning dew may kiss the grass, and you, my friends, <laughs> I consider class. Okay, my name is, it's already been said, it's Father Vaughn, and whatever the last name is, Quinn or Q or whatever it is, and I am an alcoholic, and that's why I am here. And it certainly is a great privilege to be here. Uh, this is the 46th anniversary. Uh, and and it's always something about uh, life, hey? and it's about uh, freedom, and that's what we'll work on, the archway to freedom, and all about recovery, and all about the gifts w which, uh, which we have received. As you can see by uh, this rented suit that uh, <laughs> says, if not back by 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, you know, it's next two bucks. In fact, you know, I'm the only Catholic priest that's really, and there's young children here, so I will be very careful, annoyed at the Pope. Huh? Sometimes I say a different word, but when there's ladies and young children, I, I clean it up a bit, and this guy's taping me anyway. And, and so, really annoyed at the Pope, because when I was ordained, everything, everything was in Latin. And boy, the people in the parish at St. Joseph's Church in Ottawa thought, what a holy little priest we got, right? Oh, and they thought it was great. And then they went and they changed the darn language to the vernacular, which means now we have to celebrate Mass in English. Nobody knew I had a drinking problem until I celebrated Mass in English. <laughs> And that's when they said, oh, gee, he's not holy, he's spit, he's stoned, you know. <laughs> now, 
Who's laughing here? It's, I'm not going to bore you with a, a, a drunkalogue because I wouldn't tell you the whole truth anyway. You know, the, the only things we remember are the glorious things and the funny things and the funny ha-has. We don't tell you all of the, the real tragedies and the, the, the real anguish we went through. But I just run through that and I have to... Uh, what alcoholism is, is a conflict between behavior and values in the drinker. A measurable, documentable, verifiable, observable, behavioral conflict. What's going on in the drinker's life as to what his real values are. Now, I was born in Montreal. And I had a perfectly normal childhood for 32 years. I grew up on top of Westmount Mountain and in Little Road, Fauntleroy. I lived in a house that had at one time seven servants in it. And, and as, as, I'll refer to Chuck last night, who talked a magnificent talk last night because so many things he said rung my bell. But I defied everything that that stood for. And I ended up boxing in Point St. Charles and Golden Glove and and, and I end up, you know, playing with the Verdun Shamcats owned by the Calgary Stampeders and, and, you know, alcoholics like to be in the number one limelight. Where in Montreal do you think is the most prestigious group that you can possibly belong to at that time? It doesn't exist right now, I'm sorry to say. The Montreal Canadiens. And there's only one position on the team that gets all the glory, and that's the goaltender. And so that's what I pursued until the time that I was uh, 21, then I went to medical school. As you know, as some of you know, I'm still the goaltender with the uh, Flying Father hockey team, that infamous band of brain damage, loose loper, one foot on the curb, nobody's elevator going to the top floor, priest to barnstorm the country to play hockey. I have been their goaltender for 22 full seasons. I have not seen the puck for the last nine seasons. I listen for it. The guys keep yelling at me, Quinny, get up, Quinny, get up. I said, I'm trying to get up, please, get up, get up, get up. But I would like to report that of the last 800 games, we have won 800. And there is a very uh, holy reason why we've won 800. We cheat like hell. In fact, I just finished a tour in the East Coast. I was playing in the, for the men of Miramichi. At 20, at, I finished with the Montreal, I, I was at the Montreal Canadiens, at the Junior Canadiens, and then... Uh, when the pros left town, I was able to go with the, uh, or when Jacques Plant left town, because he played with Montreal Royals, I was able to go up to the Canadians. And that was, you know, just, oh my gosh, you know. Chuck was mentioning something last night, that first drinks. I can remember, you know, at 17 years old, you know, talking about what type of impression does alcohol make in our brains, right? And I was sitting, and at that time it was 40 cents for a quart of Mother Molson's Cure-All. I was in the Kent Tavern, and I was with Morris Richard, Elmer Lack, uh, Ray Getliff, uh, Kenny Reardon, 
and, and the goaltender, Jerry McNeil. I mean, and this is the Messianic era. I mean, what more do you need? You know, a little guy from rich Montreal is sitting there with the camera. I mean, my God, that's like having it made. You do not need anything else. This is the greatest euphoric experience in the world. And I pursued that. My father was a very renowned physician in Montreal at St. Mary's Hospital. And I went to visit him when he was having his appendix out. And he said, well, Butch, what are you going to do? Stop pucks all your life or do you want to be a doctor? I said, I'll be a doctor. Within three weeks, I was in medical school. Now, I hadn't passed an exam in eight years. I stayed in high school until I could play my last hockey game. I was in high school for eight years. One of those years, my dad said to me, Butch, did you pass your exams? I said, knock them for a loop. He says, go get a car. In 1951, you people can't remember that. That's so long ago. I had a brand new red Ford convertible. God, was it glorious, right? And it, I mean, I was the head of the whole city with that mobile personality. And oh, fantastic. And I went out to Oka, the Trappist Monastery, and prayed for a miracle. And then the report card came home. I got 18 out of 100 in algebra. Grand total of a all percent was 38. I lost the car. I also had to change schools <laughs> for the next. I always did that. So I went to Catholic High and I got six scholarships to play at hockey in the States, but I never passed the exam. So I went to medical school and that was a lark. And uh, I was there for three years. Flunked most of the exams, but then I finally ended up uh, passing them all uh, at, at the end, but it got very boring because all of the guys in the medical school, all they wanted to do was marry rich women and make a lot of money. And I had come from that background, and it was boring, boring as hell. So there I was at 23 years old, and I couldn't find anybody to live with me, so I picked on the Oblate Fathers. And that's after my name, and you got Oblate to marry my OMI. Well, I've just found out what it really means is one more idiot. Right? And I joined in, in, you had to go to Armprior. Some of you referred to Armprior, and, and that's where our novitiate was. And so for the next seven years, I never took a drink. Not because of any control, not because of, of any, any, you know, there was no booze. I mean, geez, when could you drink? You got up at five o'clock in the morning, you had to pray five hours a day, and you did that up until the 18th of May, and then you went to what we call the Rock, Wap Wapoos Island, out in the middle of Lake Ontario, and you pitched 30,000 bales of hay, filled four silos, and fed 500 head of cattle. Now, what the Sam Hill that had to do with building God's kingdom? I don't know, but that got sucked in. And I, I did that for seven years, right? When you look, the guys, the, the guys have brightened up. They, you know, they, they've woken up to that scam. And they don't buy into it anymore, so they don't go after pitch bales. And you swear to God, there was a Volkswagen in every bale of hay after the ten thousand one, right? But you know, it was the, the deal was then. If you want to get ordained, just shut up and do it. You know, I mean, in Latin, it's qui volt finem volt medium. If you want to get to the end, go through it. You know. And that's what it was. And there was, and I'm Irish Catholic, in case you haven't figured that out. And, and, uh, there's something about Irish Catholics that's got, you know what the heresy of Jansenism is? The more miserable you are, the closer you are to God. Right? So if you're really hurting, you really think you're holy. Right? 
But if you're really miserable, you must really be a saint. Well, that's kind of the, the theory we went through. You know, the harder they can make it on you, the holier we're supposed to be getting. Anyway, but there was an element of what was going on. At, it, the whole time that we're in this is, is high, high competition, which is not the spiritual life. And we'll talk about that. But the spiritual life is the life of grace. It's the life of gifts, fruitfulness, and not competition. But I was an alcoholic, still not drinking, but it was competition. And it was the same competition that would keep me practicing every day. I, I can remember practicing with the Montreal Canadiens in the Montreal Forum and then going on an outdoor rink until nightfall with kids, you know, and everybody. And just that compulsive activity to be number one. You always wanted to be number one, and then you had all the anxiety of fear that someone's going to come and knock you out of position of being number one. And so that, you know, all that fun stuff that we always got into. Well, now I'm in this house of studies, the Pontifical Institute, University of Ottawa, St. Paul's, Sede Sapientiae, that's Latin for smartass, but that was the name of the building. And, and so I'm competing now with all these guys from Rome and from Louvain, Belgium, and Ireland, and oh my God, I'm going to show them so we compete. Same thing. Came out number one. In 1963, I was called to ordination in Montreal. It was one of the biggest uh, parties that Montreal had seen in a long time because I, you know, I, I had seven degrees by that time. I don't know all these. I got so many. I got, but not the important. I'll talk to you about the important degree. But I, by this time, I had gone through science. I had gone through medical school. I had gone through philosophy. I had gone through theology. And now I had known pretty good. You know, I'd studied a lot. And I kind of believe that Jesus did a sort of half-assed job and he walked on the face of the earth. But the real promised Messiah was just returning to his people. And there I blew in the Montreal. Being a holy uh, oblate priest, which means a religious congregation with the vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and perseverance, I have to ask for permission. That's, what's the first permission I ask for? Can I smoke? Can I drink? Poor Father Cruz, you know. So I used the provincial, right? And he said, yes, Father, you may. So I returned to Montreal, and, you know, big party. I remember my father had died by that time, so they called me to St. Mary's Hospital. Jack Quinn, son's the priest. Wow, wait. He's got to come to the hospital and say mass for his father. Oh, yeah, and everybody shows up. 5,000 nuns show up. Oh, my God, Bishop. Showed up, everybody showed up. Bishop Carter showed up, everybody. And you know what? That day I got for presents 19 black umbrellas. <laughs> what the hell do you do with 19 black umbrellas? I mean, what would you give a priest? You know what I did? I took them to Henry Burks, cashed them in. They gave me a slip for $325. I took them to my mother, Elaine the Flame. I said, Buy this. She did. I went and bought skis. So we have this big party, you know, uh, uh, you know, and in those days, when you were newly ordained, everybody used to kiss your anointed hands, you know, it was very sloppy, like my St. Bernard dogs drool all over the place. <laughs> the next night, Martha has a party for me. That's my baby sister, Martha. I can't tell you her age, but I'm 63 and she's two years younger than me. Right? This woman's fantastic, and she'll be in Toronto next week to plant my garden, wash my clothes, you know, wash the car, do everything. You know? and, 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 well, she dresses me, does everything. I like, can't stand to see grubby-looking priests. Anyway, she makes me really look like I'm totally paralyzed and brain damaged. But, but 
So she has this party and she's saying, uh, you know, everybody's having a drink. My mother's there. My mother's a widow now by about 12 years. And, and she's there and everybody's there. And they're saying, shall we have another drink? She's oh, George hasn't finished. I said, well, what the hell does George come to this party for? Sip, 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 sip. This is ridiculous. I haven't had anything for seven years. I gotta, so I volunteered to be bartender. You know, because I'm a missionary oblate and I can uh, adapt to human conditions and everything that's required upon me, and I do. Out of generosity to help the people that are there. Of course, you understand that. Mother says, uh, son, are we going, uh, I, I want to go home. Take me home, please. Now, but, you know, people are very indulgent. To please. Someone had given me a brand new, Bob Barnaby gave me a brand new Oldsmobile 98 to use on my holidays. So I drive mother home and she says, well, Bob, son, aren't you going to come in? Mother, a priest is never ordained for his own sanctification, but to build the kingdom of God, to preach the good news. I was thirsty. And I had just been to this sip, sip, sip party, and I knew where the real professional drinkers were, Laval, Sulalak. So I said, okay, Mom, I can't come in right now. I've got to be about my... And I take off, and I'm any from Montreal, and I'm going out to Dakari Boulevard, and I come in front of my old hangout, Ruby Foos, and the parking lot is full of cars, and all the lights are on, and the doorman's there, and the twinkling all over. I'm thirsty. And I said, my God, there's a communistic infiltration movement going on in there. I better get in there and exercise the devil out of the... I see, I was thirsty. Because I had another 20 minutes to get to the party. And so I said, okay, I'm going in. Now, I'm dressed like this in my Petey the Priest uniform. And I'm in a Quebec province, all Catholics, but very anti-clerical. They won't appreciate me looking like this. But being an oblate father, that's uh, trained to adopt to every type of human condition, possibly, so quick. Boom, it's gone. That's all I'm taking off, kid. And the loose, flowing a sports shirt appears. And I go in, and being a shy, introverted guy, it took about 18 seconds to get something going. I knew the bartenders and all of that type of stuff. And the next thing I know, the next thing I know, the light's very hard on my eyes. I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, what's this bright light on my eyes? Hmm. So I open up one eye. Hospital? Hospital? Sweet Jesus, where am I? Now let me see. The last church I was in was Ruby Foo's. No, yeah, okay. Now, the nearest hospital to Ruby Foos is uh, Notre Dame de Grasse. Oh, good. So, all I could hear the nurse saying was, Father, don't swear. So I finally mustered up enough courage. I said, Nurse, what hospital am I in? And she said, St. Mary's Hospital, Father, where I was less than 48 hours before blessing everybody zapping them with grace, <laughs> kissing my anointed hands, oh my head, what the Sam Hill's wrong, they said you got 18 stitches in your head, I, whoa, I didn't know how that happened, 
But I did say to her, I said, oh my gosh, the car, you know, that sweet Jesus, where's the car? <laughs> I said, can you phone that last church I was in? And she did, and she said, yeah, there's a car there with some funny clothes in it. It's this bib we wear, right? It was on the front seat. So I had the action part of the program, and I got out of there quick, fast as I could, continued to Laval Salalak, started the party, continued the party. Why was the day late? Didn't make any difference to me, you know. As long as there was booze there, there was a party. And as we got drinking into the party, you know, the spirits loosened the tongue, and we called Ruby Foo's nightclub. And what I had performed was one of the Winnipeg Ballet's most intricate pirouette steps down the front staircase, head first, out the front door, the front door was closed. <laughs> Thus, 18 stitches in my head. Now, I'm the youngest oblate priest in the congregation of oblates in that district, which is St. Peter's in Ottawa. There's 90 of us. And I go to my first job. And my first job, I have to comb my hair in a funny way so they won't see the 18 stitches, right? And I'm sent to St. Joseph's Church in Ottawa, where I was in medical school, where I was the city goaltender for the junior team there, where I did, and my gosh, this is seven years later. All the guys I drank with playing football and for Ottawa UGGs and, and the hockey team, the, the city team, they're all there. And they're all married. And they're all tired of this seven-year itch. <laughs> you know? Babies, diapers, and all of this type of stuff. And I show up on the scene. And, oh, my God, hey, I thought it was magnificent. Because now they had an excuse. Don't get mad at me, honey. Don't get mad at me, darling. I'm with the priest last night, you know. <laughs> the honest to goodness truth, like I got paid $10 a month and drank every day. Because they were like, come on, Clint, let's go, let's have another drink. All right? And so I knew where to go, too. I mean, I remember going into a house once and to visit and the people said well we know catholic priests don't drink uh, so what would you like coca-cola or ginger ale i said oh no mrs smith i said you know we mr brown's in the hospital like i mean i just came in here and said oh god mr brown i was gone there was nobody in the hospital i don't know how to stand around there and that lasted for 300 days and on the 302nd day father cousino called me into his office Father Cousineau is the provincial. That means he has domestic jurisdiction over me. That means if he says, tuck, 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 that's where I was supposed to go. <laughs> now, that's authority, you know, big time. So I'm called in. It was June the 16th, 1964. And I walk in. I'm all cleaned up. And, and I've got my rosary beads here and my bravery here. And, boy, I'm looking good. And he says, Father, oh. Father Quinn, I'm so tired. I'm so scared. I don't want to even pick up the newspaper because if I read the newspaper, I'll read about you. And he will. Because <laughs> I was getting in fights all the time. You know, you know the little 118-pound, five-foot-six guy that's continually going to kick the bejabers out of the 300-pound boy. That's me, right? Always getting a fight. That was the golden god broke up. And 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 so and then so he picked up. And for 25 minutes, he read, because all those guys that I'd been playing football with seven years before in hockey went to him and said, you've got to do something. You don't know it, because you know what happens in Ottawa, you've got skiing in Hull. So I would go night skiing every night, right? And apraski, what are you going to do, right? A little apraski, so I would get in the bars again. And so he read this thing. Now, he was perspiring, 
And his heart was going boom, 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 boom. I thought he was going to pass out. And he talked for 25 minutes. And you know what I said at the end of 25 minutes? Phew, is that all he knows? <laughs> you're going away. Thank God I'm going away, Father. Thank you for the obedience. I'm so, you're going to Chicago. Fantastic. I love Chicago. It's a swinging city. That's really great. Father Schrader flies with you. Uh-oh, bodyguard. June the 18th, I was flown to Chicago under bodyguard. Met at the airport with a funny-looking machine. More bodyguards. Dragged off to Our Lady of Mercy Hospital, Dyer, Indiana. A twitch farm. And so there I walk in, you know. I still don't know what's happening. And I'm on the carpet. I'm all dressed up like this. And, 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 and so... You know, and now I, and I have been visiting jails, and so they said, follow me. So I'm off the carpet, I'm on the low, and now I'm on the cement. I start hearing clang, 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 clang. And I said, oh, I've heard that sound before, yeah. And boom. Now, as you can see, I'm a Roman Catholic priest. And all I see are souls. It's very well-endowed souls. Felicity. She played defensive end with the Chicago Bears for nine years. Came in the room, and I and it was so because when 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 Chuck said last night, I'm tired of people asking for my belt. <laughs> she said, "Shoot prayer book, belt, shoelaces, shoes." Because you know that was it. And I said, "My God, it's warm. Do you think we could open the window?" She says, "I'll go get the crank." I said, my God, I'm locked up. She said, yes, you are, Father. So there he was, God's gift of Christendom from high society, Montreal Canadians, all of these degrees after my name, and there I was in the nut house. And they issued me my uniform. I got a uniform more than you got. One of those hospital honeymoon jackets that doesn't close. And you have to walk this way all the time, with your back against the wall so you won't be smiling at people, right? With little paper shoes with my number on them. And they'd let you shave and they'd give you the razor, and if you wanted to change the blade, you need a black and decker drill. Because they didn't want you slashing your wrist. Well, this is fun. I'll be out of here in five days. Four months later, Felicity came to me. <laughs> Actually, no. A week later, she said to me, the doctor wants you to go to that AA meeting Monday night. I said, what? With the holy oils of ordination hardly dry in my hands, I'll eat you. You want me to go to a bunch of drunks again? I said, Felicity, you've had a nervous breakdown. Go upstairs, get some shock treatment. Like the rest of the guys around here. I think you're having a breakdown. But being a con artist, I said, will that help me get out of the hospital? She said, yes, it will. I said, I'll go.
So away we go. Monday night, June 22nd. I'll never forget it. I walk in, and now I'm not like this, of course. You know, I have a big discussion. Am I going cognito or am I going in my mufti? We go into our money. Mufti, that means sports clothes, right? And so, this idiot, Frank, I'll never forget him. I have horses. He looked like my horse. Big teeth, huh? He's smiling at me and saying, glad to see you. Smiling. He doesn't realize the whole Catholic Church is in this horrible crisis here because I'm locked up. And he's smiling. And I said, I'm <clears throat> gone. And I coughed over the, the father part. And so I sat down. That was a closed meeting. I didn't know where I was. The closed meeting. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Everyone's coming around the table. Pressure's on, kid. What do you do when the pressure's on? You join. I'm not going to say, I don't belong here. I mean, I've got to get out of this hospital. I've got four more days to be here. Boom, boom. I'm an alcoholic, so it comes to me. I'm an alcoholic, too. Okay, fine. Boom. So now they had this little priest, you know, who talked fast. When we, before I was mature, I used to talk fast. And I used to say funny things like, out, about, and house, and a. Hey, they don't, they don't talk that way in Chicago, eh? And so, you know, all of a sudden I'm giving AA talks all over the place. I don't know what the Sam Hill I'm talking about. Somebody gives me a big book, not this one, it's a new one. And, 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 and they say, read this. And I say, moi, read this. I got degrees in epistemology and ontology. I don't need that stuff. I said, get out of here. All the alkies in that hospital stayed there 14 days. Six months later, I'm still there. And they're bringing the guys back in. I mean, we all knew each other by first name. Ralphie had been in there four times, right? So they're carrying Ralphie back in. Ralphie comes back and he goes, Quiddy, you're still here. You really must be sick. So I pick up the book. Got to be something in there. How to get discharged from the Twitch farm. How do you get out of the nut house? Got to be here someplace. Wasn't a bad book. After I started reading it, I rewrote it. Yeah, it was pretty good. I straightened it out a little bit. Fifty-seven weeks later, I went home uh, to Edmonton. With, uh, with Sweetheart, when I got hooked up with George Strachan. I, I did my time, then I went to Guest House, which was a positive place for Catholic priests and brothers, and I was the youngest priest that had ever been nailed for boozeology since Jesus walked on the face of this earth. And so they really, uh, they kind of gave me the best treatment they possibly could. I mean, they worked on me from data. Oh, you know, the old, the old. No! All the priests at that time, in, in their best sobriety, their best honesty, would say they had 15 years of problem drinking. They're lying like carpets. It was more like 30, but they wouldn't admit it, right? And, and so the youngest guy to me in age was like 22 years older than me. So the priest used to go, well, what Alateen meeting are you going to? You know? <laughs> and they worked on me, and uh, finally... Uh, made all kinds of arrangements, and they, I was sent to Edmonton, Alberta, with the stipulation that for the next two years you'll be back here twice a year to check on you to make sure your batteries are charged and that you're still doing what you have to do and that you're still going to AA 
and that you're, you know, these type of things. And I did go back, and one of those was in June of 1967. And Mr. Ripley, not a priest, the director of the place, who I'll talk about later, you know, said, I want you to go down, down Detroit. They're trying to start something. The city's burning down. And, and they're trying to start something for, for some uh, uh, disaffiliated men. Uh, you'll never hear me use other, any other words. And so I did. And on June the 16th, 1967, I met four of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. And believe me, I've met tons of people in my life. I met Box Carbani, Falmo Seymour, the Mayor of Michigan Avenue, and Paratrooper Jack. And we broke into a building together that nobody had ever been in for four years. We stole picture frames that night, sold them for dinner. And these guys were drinking Sterno, Can't Heat, Aquavalva, Vitalis, Yardley, Shaving Cream, Nail Polish, Remover, Car 83, Soul X Painter, A1, Orange River, What's the Word, Thunderbird, What's the Price, 44 Twice, What's the Reason, Grapes, Season, Season, Who Likes It Most, We Inner City Folk. And that, that night, that night, one guy was seeing pink polka dotted alligators and turkeys with straw hats coming down the main aisle. The other guy was said, move over, Father, the train's coming over this side of the dormitory. And another guy was bleeding. He you know, slashed his wrist. And so I thought, you know, I had just finished three months of training in a medical school, hands cellier's experimental surgery in Montreal. Ah, this was exciting. So I wrote the same Father Superior three months later. After I was there three months, I said, Dear Father Superior, same guy locked me up. I hated his guts. I wouldn't talk to him. And I said, Funny thing happened. You sent me to Chicago again, but I never got there. I'm in Detroit. And that was the beginning of Sacred Heart Center where I stayed for the next 20 years. And I think 24,000 men and women went through the place and, you know, in the, the treatment center. Came out of that in 87, went to uh, the penitentiary systems in Canada and then now in Toronto. So what? We want to do now is talk about the archway to freedom. What I say now is, is applies to everybody. It applies certainly to the AA members, certainly, you know, to all of the Al-Anon people, you know, because it takes a, a smart woman to see through her husband, but a good woman to see her husband through. Yeah. And all of the Alateens and families and whatever, because I'm going to talk about life, and I'm going to talk about saying yes to life, and I'm going to talk about grace, and I'm going to talk about God, and I'm going to talk about joy, and I'm going to talk about laughter, and I'm going to talk about being alive, because that's what the AA program is. This book, it tells you, is not a course on alcoholism, but it is a way of life, right? Well, you're laughing at it. If you knew these pages, that's what we'll talk about. Right. And in all of these years, you know, that, that I've been doing this now since 64, you know, tons of people have come to me and said, Father, I'm half in the bag. I can't understand how I got back to drinking. I was the best 12-stepper in my group and I had a slip. I say, what's the 12-step? And he says, working with other drunks. I say, no, it's not. What's the 12-step? I'll save another alcoholic. They say, no, it's not. Well, what's the 12 step? Rescuing other drugs. No, it's not. I said, where's your big book? Ah, oh, jeez, Father, I like big book. I gave it to my first pigeon eight years ago. He needed it more than I did. So I said, well, let's get the big book out. So we do. Take these glasses. You know, in Detroit, once I was doing a connected wedding, if you know what that means, mafia. Right? 
And I put these glasses on, the lady says to me, Oh, no, Father, I know exactly who you look alike. Ah, oh, you look like a George Burns. <laughs> At that time, he was 98 years old. I hit her. So if you see a little Italian lady, about 82 years old, the black eye, I gave it to her, right? I say, get the big book. Let's read the big, the 12 steps. Page 62, having had a spiritual awakening. Oh, I says, there you go. You're priests and you ministers and everybody like that. All you do is you start talking to me this God stuff. And if I hear any more about this God stuff in AA, I'm out the door and I don't want any of this type of stuff. And I looked all over for spiritual awakening. I didn't see it. Says, I looked all over for God. All I could see was little green men and more pink polka dotted alligators and turkeys with straw hats. I said, well, what is the spiritual experience? I don't know. As I turn to page 579, page 569, that's my address in Detroit. I said, there it is. An education process. William James, the father of American psychology, right there. An education process. From the Latin word, educare, to lead out of a person a hierarchy of values that were once there but have gone dead, dormant, asleep, kaput, fini, and no more because of the progression of the disease of alcoholism. What am I talking about? Joy, enthusiasm, self-esteem, self-respect, joie de vivre. Being caught in, in, in the stream of life. Being alive. Laughter. You know that laughter is one of the proofs of the risibility of the soul. Risibility means capacity to laugh. Risibility of the soul. Risibility is one of the proofs of the spirituality of the soul. You know, if you can't laugh, you're dead. And before we came into AA and Al-Anon, we didn't laugh. We snickered at people. You know? <laughs> Told you so. <laughs> you know? No joy. And all of a sudden, we're in AA and Al-Anon for about six months, and somebody says something, we go, ha, 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 oh, oh. Now what's wrong? First time he's laughed in 14 years, just sprained his back. <laughs> Call a doctor. My back. So we want to talk about, you know, where's the joy? Now, I'm going to get down to serious business. The fellowship of alcoholics is very, very, very important. The first word of the steps, as you all know, is we. Got it? Right? Read them. There's 213 words in those steps. You want to check me up on it? It's we. Nobody can get well alone. Nobody can stay well alone, no matter how much we know about it. 
God, I could talk to you for six hours. What happens when I'm on eating oxidized inhibitor against ingested Indian liver? Has that slowly compound of alcohol dehydrogenation which causes the oxidation of alcohol down a acid aldehyde to achieve gastric carbon dioxide water which causes the microhydrogen in the cellular producing norepinephrine. That's not what gets us sober. And that's not what keeps us sober. No. So that fellowship is important. You've got to stay connected on a regular basis. Every week, minimum. But the fellowship is not going to bring about the psychic change which you need, the conversion which you need, the transformation which you need, the metanoia which we all need in AA, in Al-Anon, which goes from negative to positive which goes from the book Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, profile of a drinking alcoholic and Al-Anon person is worry, anger, self-pity, depression. Not exactly an archway to freedom. And that has to be changed into what we've talked about since I've been here. The Promises, page 83, 84. Freedom, happiness, peace, serenity, which is four. That does not happen by just saying, well, I went to AA and it didn't work. I mean, I tried AA and it didn't work for me. Well, what did you do? Well, I went to meetings and I sat there. And I drank coffee and ate a hard donut and sit in a small filled room and smoke filled room and I, and I listened to drunk logs and nothing happened. That's not what the commitment to the program is in AA or Al-Anon. It's the internalization of the steps. Basic, basic truths. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. But God, we, we, we know, we know that. And so we have to, we know, we, we, we've tried, we know that. You know darn well if, if, you know, if one of you won the lottery tonight, you'd blow it away in no time. Easy come, easy go. Right? The only things that are of value to any of us in life are those things we sweated for. With pain. The greatest gift that God gave us is pain. Chuck was saying that. We had all those things. Oh, you're in, in pro dressing rooms. I was there. Ah, who needs this? You know? I mean, you just tell us we have to do something. We're going to say the heck with you. We're not going to do it. No way. No, we're, we're the type of people that will buy tickets to a great musical Broadway show that's coming to down six months ahead, pay $200 a ticket, you know, brag about it for six months. The night comes to go to the show and we say, shit, no one's going to make me go to that. And so we start saying, what is it? How does it come about? It comes about through the internalization of the steps, which are the ways to freedom. This is not a, what was that funny word I used, you know, Jansenism. This is not a program of moral rearmament where we go around telling each other how bad we are, where we go around, you know, saying, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good. This is not a program to just drive us into the ground in guilt and, and depression and, and, and remorse. No, it's a program of life. Life, you know, this for we Catholics this weekend is Pentecost Sunday, tomorrow. That's the gift of the Spirit. 
That's the foundation of church, which is people. That's the promise. And I don't know what your concepts of Jesus are, but he was a winner. He wasn't selfish. And that's what he promised to send us. And he's here, and I'll talk about that. But it's about life, and it's about love, and you were created to love. And boy, did we ever mess that one up. (laughs) We'll talk about Okay. So we get into looking at the first step. The first step is a positive, creative acceptance of my human condition to work out my destiny in this plot which is given for me to till. Is it positive? Is it creative? Is it accepting of myself? Is it something that gives water vives to life? Is it something I give to others to share? I pass through this garden of life but once. Is the garden going to look better after I'm out of it? Uh, was it that way when we were drinking? No. So the first step means, the best way I can describe this one is, is that the first psychiatrist that worked with, with Bill Wilson was uh, Thibault, Dr. Thibault. And the first woman that came to way, I think it's Marty Mann, but I don't know. I had the privilege of being in a treatment center with her after I was sober about a year for about a month. And Alana, Alina, Alina Lodge in, in New Jersey. And, and, and he talks about this woman, the first woman in AA. And she was all of those things which we were before we're drinking. And I go put two columns up here. Where will I stand? God, this will be. Over here. Over here on this column. This side of the roof, right? What was she like? What did she feel like? She felt depressed. She felt worried. She felt unclean. She felt remorseful. She felt dirty. She felt guilty. She felt unloved. She felt unaccepted. Give me some more. She felt like shit. Okay. What else? Come on. Give me some. What else? Dirt bag. Come on. Unloved. Fearful, used, lonely, like garbage, angry, desperate, lonely, suicidal. What was that? Worthless. And one day she walked into the office, she bounced into the office to Tebow, and he said, my God, what's happened? And she said, well, now I feel accepted. I feel prayerful. I feel worthy. I feel beautiful. I feel loved. I feel at peace. I feel like I belong. Give me some more. Happy. Respected, safe, free, joyous, pardon, clean, serene, grateful, glad to be alive. And he couldn't understand what happened. She said, I surrendered. So here it is, 
17th, I think, of May, 1997. Don't put your hands up at this very moment. Which side column do you identify with most? That's the first step. I would really like to be able to lie to you and say, you know, every morning when I wake up, this is me over here. Boy, I bounce out of bed and I am so grateful and serene and malarkey. Because life isn't that. You know, life is not a static thing. But there's this continual, and I'll talk about this, flashing through the sky like lightning and thunder and, you know, Roosbrecht's concept of what Trinitarian love is. What life is. Right. But the first step means there is no more fighting. There's no more battle. There's no more trying to become powerful over the drinking. There's no more but trying to become powerful over people. You know, it says we are powerless over alcohol, lives unmanageable. It doesn't say comma. Doesn't, it has a hyphen mark. Which means we're powerless over life. Life's unmanageable. But what were we going to do? His little majesty, the baby, was going to control that. Because his little majesty, the baby, comes into this world with all of the three characteristics. And her majesty, the queen, comes in with these three characteristics too. Omnipotence. Low tolerance to any type of a frustration and doing everything in a hurry. <laughs> Who, when we were drinking, it was omnipotent. Omnipotence is all powerful. Our wish was everybody else's command. You know darn well. Somebody said, you can't do it, boom, we'll do it. So we fought everything. And we were going to prove that we're going to control people. By gosh, we're going to control it. We're going to make things happen in this world. Damn it, I'll make you love me. You watch. You're going to end up marrying me. That's the way it is. And the poor girl says, God has given me a mission. Because when he's with me, he's not drinking. So, my role in life is to change him, control him. So, this big war starts, a game of control, right? That's why I say when we mess up love, we've we, we got no idea what it is, you know? We're going to make something happen which is of its very nature free, but we're going to make it control. By God, they're going to do it, do what? right? And, and that's, we get back in the world of competition again. And it goes on for 16 years, you know, two people struggling and skirmishing one over the other to see who can impose one's will over the other. And the fight continues. And we get to the first step. It's a lot more than just submission. Sometimes we submit to something. And it's a lot more than just compliance. Compliance means on the outside everything's magnificent. Like I was in the Nuthouse Lockup Hospital. I'd say, how are you? I'd say, oh, I am just fine. I've never been happier. I mean, this is the most beautiful place in the world. I just love this lovely 
honeymoon jacket I'm wearing, and I mean, these little shoes are so cute, and you know, I, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, and I, and I ran out of cigarettes, and then the nurse would light every cigarette and say, there you are, father, till your self-image is gay, big. And everybody used to come roaring in the room at six o'clock in the morning to see this little alky priest. Oh, he—he's the youngest one we've ever had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bitch! <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. The names I had for those gals was terrible. Yeah. Everyone was a derogatory name. There was the vampire. There was the dope pusher. The, there was the vampire came to take blood from you every morning, and the dope pusher would come with the pills. Oh, and they were all, you know. There's no more of that. You know, we fight like, when we're submitting to something and going under what compliance is, on the outside, everything is my inside, steaming with hostility. Just waiting to get back. Just waiting for our chance to fix them. There's no peace. The war continues. But in total acceptance, where surrender means there is no more fight. We have to admit the reality, the truth. Today, we're absolutely licked, defeated. And that's got to be positive. If there's any fight going on, any, well, you know, like... Like compulsive gamblers cannot go to a racetrack to look at nice horses. Right? Now, I've been sober for a while, since 64. I cannot go into a bar and sit there for six hours and drink Coca-Cola and think I'm having a good time. That's a way of telling the world that I'm powerful over alcohol. Now, I am as powerless over alcohol today as I was in June of 65 or 64, whatever, what was it, June of 65, yeah. And, and, and you know, that much? But that's got to be a positive, creative thing in my life that's making life more meaningful, more livable, more everything. But if I'm fighting that, if I'm, uh, you know, poor me, I can't drink, poor me, all the other priests of the Flying Fathers drink, poor me, I can't drink, oh, poor me, I can't drink, shit, pour me another drink, what the hell, you know? It can't be that. But the only way you get this way is the internalization of the steps and by work, it doesn't come automatically. Sometimes we think if we sit on our fannies, all this should come. I tried AA for six weeks, it didn't work for me, so the hell with it. But what did you do? Nothing. They sat there and drank coffee. And so we got to come in that first step that the way God, listen to me now, when you're you're talking about about Al-Anon and and AA, when you're at the first step, share with people how you're getting well. The drunkologue, yeah, I told you, you know, is there anybody here who thinks that after being seven years in the seminary, picking up six degrees, Going out, and two days later, I'm in a hospital with 18 stitches in my head. Is there anybody here who's going to tell me that that is not a conflict in your behavior and in your own values, who got up at 5 o'clock every morning to spend five hours a day in common prayer, to get called to ordination to the priesthood, and two days later, got 18 stitches in your head, you don't know how you got them. Anybody think that that's okay? There you are. 
That's what discernment is. That's the growth. How many times we go, I, you'll see, you'll never hear me say I quit drinking. I never quit drinking. Who's he made me? (laughs) Well, yeah. So why don't I drink now? Well, you spent 57 weeks doing postgraduate work, wallet making, basket weaving, and making belts. For 57, you only had to spend five days there. What the hell? For 57 weeks, you wouldn't drink either. Because I've been sober since then. It's 30 some odd years. I forget. What is this? It's 65, right? And the disease has progressed. And if I ever take another drink now, gee, how much time will I have to spend in the nuttos? I'd like to call on Doug to come up, please. 